one of the joys of preaching through First Samuel is that there's a, a narrative, there's something of a, a story that's being told. And so I'm going to take from verse 5 and read all the way to the end of the chapter and uh, preach from this longer narrative. It all hangs together. You'll find that it uh, describes jealousy and its fruit. This is God's word. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that she was given to Adriel, the Mahalothite, as a wife. Now, Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David, A second time you shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, Communicate with David secretly and say, Look, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke the, those words in the hearing of David, and David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? The servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, 
The king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. All throughout the book of 1 Samuel, we paid a lot of attention to the role of godly leadership. We paid attention to the, the longing of the people for a godly king and ultimately to the king that God would send, Jesus Christ. We paid attention to the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ that comes through in this history. Today's passage is no different. Those longings, those observations are there. But it's a difficult one because it reveals Saul's sins. And in doing so, it reveals ours as well. Today we'll be thinking about jealousy and its fruit as King Saul sinned in this way. We'll also be seeing David and his upright behavior and the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ that it gives to us. The pure love of Jonathan that was demonstrated in the first portion of this passage and verses 1 through 5, stands in contrast to the jealousy of his father, King Saul. That account will give us a warning about jealousy in all persons. <clears throat> so today, I pray that you will learn that jealousy can and will consume you and destroy relationships. Therefore, pursue contentment and brotherly love. We'll begin with the fact that jealousy does consume Saul. The armies are returning home from the battle against Goliath and the Philistines. David's popularity had already gone viral, as we would say today. As he is coming home, the people stream out of the cities to, uh, to celebrate this great victory. Just imagine the scene with me. Imagine the crowds that are swelling and the celebratory music that is being played and the singing and the dancing. We would call it a ticker tape parade today. Saul leading the armies must have been really proud. This is something that is right up of his alley. We've already noticed that he was especially interested in what other people thought of him. So to have all of these crowds throwing a great parade for their victory must have really swelled his head until he heard the words of the praise that the women were singing. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. 
Now, just a quick word of explanation. Don't take this literally. David hadn't literally killed 10,000 enemies that day. It's just a comparison. Saul is good, but David, David is better, way better. He's 10 times better than King Saul. And just imagine that scene again, all of the celebration and, and Saul's big head all swollen up because of what's being said. And then he hears this song being sung and it just deflates him completely. It says he got very angry at what was said. It displeased him, to say the least, because he understood what they were saying. He got the significance of the comparison. And where his son Jonathan reacted with love and devotion to David because he saw the kingdom work that he was doing, Saul becomes fiercely, savagely jealous over David. And that jealousy poisons his heart and his mind towards David. And what happens next demonstrates that the inward sins of jealousy and envy will grow and grow and turn into sinful actions. Let's turn and consider the fruit of, uh, of jealousy and envy. The jealousy turns into sinful actions. This is actually characteristic of all sin. The sin that begins on the inside will inevitably work itself out in our attitudes, our words, and our actions. It provides a really powerful example today to us about what happens when you let these sins of jealousy get a hold of your heart and mind. Think of it as a weed that grows roots deep down into your heart, corrupting your thoughts and your desires, and then growing up and producing sinful fruit or sinful actions. Let's trace them with Saul. I'm going to call attention to four ways that the fruit of jealousy is demonstrated in Saul. First of all, jealousy chokes out joy. I've already commented that, that this was already a great day of national celebration. And for good reason, God had delivered them from an oppressing and invading foe. And all along the way, the people turned out to celebrate that. And Saul should have celebrated too. He should have, should have led the nation in this joy. He should have led them in giving thanks to God and to David, who was the agent of that. But he couldn't because his heart was choked with jealousy. And that great day of celebration was then soured for Saul and surely for those around him because of the jealousy and the anger that he fosters in his heart towards David. This fits really well with our Psalm of the Month. I urged you last week to take the temperature of your heart. Is it frozen, I asked? Do you struggle to find joy in the Lord? And particularly, in this case, do you have, uh, do you have trouble being happy when other people succeed? 
It might be that jealousy and envy have already taken root in your heart and its vines are beginning to choke you from the joy that you might have at the success that you see in other people around you. Secondly, jealousy sets you against people who ought to be your friends. Not only did Saul pout and become angry, but he began to mistrust David. They say David has killed 10,000 and me only 1,000. What's there, what's there left to give him? But the kingdom itself. So the text says, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. That, that means that he looked at David with suspicion. David. David, who had volunteered to go and fight representing Saul and all of Israel. David, who had the courage to go and face the giant and to defeat him. David, who did this and humbly comes back and and lays the victory, in a sense, in front of Saul, saying that the Lord has done this great thing for all of us. And yet, Saul eyed David with suspicion. In Saul's mind, he had constructed a narrative that David would not be content with just the praise of the people. Instead, he had his eye on becoming king in place of Saul. And having constructed such a narrative, he begins to interpret everything in light of what he believed about David. And so he became afraid of David. He made he removed David from his presence. He made him a captain of the army so that he wouldn't see him. We'll actually see that there's a, a devious re, another devious reason why he did this. But understand here that, uh, that jealousy set Saul against David, who had acted faithfully and wisely in all that he did. And jealousy is like that. Maybe you can reflect on your own life and remember times when jealousy got a hold in your mind. As sinners, we can give room in our hearts and our minds to jealousy. And that jealousy turns to suspicion and to spite against others, even our brothers and sisters in Christ. I deserved that promotion. I deserved that recognition and praise. I've worked harder than he did. I've sacrificed more than she did. Matthew Henry puts it this way. It is a sign that the Spirit of God is departed from men if they are peevish in their resentment of affronts envious and suspicious of all about them, and ill-natured in their conduct. The wisdom from above makes us quite otherwise. Saul was set against David because of his jealousy. Thirdly, that jealousy destroys your peace of mind and heart. 
We've seen this already with Saul. There's a progression that is traced through this, uh, this book. The spirit of the Lord departed Saul and came to rest on David. The Lord sent a distressing spirit on Saul. That fits, uh, the, the fits that Saul suffered were mentioned before and now come back to haunt Saul. And in this case, the fits were part of God's own judgment against Saul because he had rejected God himself. But in, uh, in others, if the heart is empty of Christ, it will be filled with something. It will. It will be filled with envy and jealousy. It will be filled with, with hatred. It will be filled with even evil spirits, as we see in the New Testament as Jesus Jesus speaks of one where the spirit departs, but the house is empty, and it returns and brings seven others with him. I quoted Matthew Henry earlier. He goes on, and he says that those that indulge themselves in envy and uncharitableness give place to the devil. I want you to hear that, that if you give yourself over to envy and uncharitableness, You give place to the devil. And with the devil, there is confusion and disorder. Jealousy will bring that about and destroy the peace of mind and heart that you have. Fourthly, jealousy gives birth to hatred and violence. Verse 10 says that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and then he prophesied inside his house. And this is the beginning of, uh, of really the rest of the narrative of this chapter, that is full of devious plans to try to get rid of David. The hatred that Saul has against him manifests itself in, uh, in blatant violence and attempts to kill David. And the first starts here. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting phrase, and we, we aren't told exactly what this is. Uh, commentators describe it in two different ways. One is that it could be that Saul did actually prophesy by the Spirit of God and prophesied truly. And this would be an element of God's judgment. Just think of how it would be. Imagine Saul's distress and then the Spirit of God coming upon him so that he couldn't help but speak truly about David and about his judgment from God. Samuel had already told him what was going to happen. The Lord had rejected him. So what would the Lord's spirit prophesy but the same words that Samuel had told him? You are rejected as king over Israel. The Lord will raise up another man after his own heart to be king. Well, that would be agonizing in and of itself. Or it, it could have been a trick Out of a bent mind that suspected David as traitor, Saul could have used this as a ploy to get close to David so as to kill him. Perhaps he just acted like he was standing and speaking words like a prophet to declare the truth in order to get this opportunity to draw near to David 
to kill him. And David saw the distress of Saul, and he did draw near. He played harp as he had before to soothe him. And at that moment, Saul grabbed his spear and he threw it at David, thinking that he would pin him to the wall. And it says that David escaped twice. It wasn't as if Saul uh, had this fit of insanity and, and realized immediately. He, he tried at least twice, and David escaped both times. The jealousy of Saul turned into murder, attempted murder against David. And then it continues. We have these, these, uh, these tellings of uh, of Saul's daughters who are promised to David. First of all, Merib. Uh, Saul promises his daughters and uh, says, I will give her to you, only be valiant for me, O David. Fight the Lord's battles. But then the text goes on and says what was in Saul's mind. For Saul's thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. That's pretty sneaky, isn't it? Later we'll see that David learns this lesson too, doesn't he? That's a story for another day. But here is Saul acting in a devious manner, exposing David to warfare so that he could get rid of him. And he didn't keep his promise. When time came for, uh, for Merib to be given, he gave him to someone else. And so Saul promised his other daughter, Michael. Uh, David says, uh, like he had before, this, this, this honor is too high for me, and, and I'm poor. And Saul interprets that so well, yet he doesn't have a dowry. Well, ha-ha, ha-ha, I know, I, I know a way for this to happen. The dowry will be the life of 100 Philistines. David, you don't need to bring me money. You don't need to bring me money. Just bring me evidence that you've killed 100 Philistines. Thinking again, and the text explains it again. I'm not making this up. Perhaps Michael will be a snare to him and the hand of the Philistines will be against him. Well, David took his mighty men and he killed 200. <laughs> Brought back the evidence and he married the king's daughter, Michael. Who does this? Who acts this way against a man of God, against one who has done nothing against Saul, who had only acted to secure and protect and to establish the kingdom of God and the kingship of Saul. Who does this? Well, we do when jealousy grips our hearts. 
God has given us all of these texts of the scripture so that we would learn. One of the things that we learn is we learn the character and the shape of our own sins. And this is a passage that confronts the sin of jealousy and of envy. You may think it's harmless because it's, it's just in my mind. I'm not acting on anything here. But jealousy is like a weed, and its roots will grow down and poison the rest of your heart, corrupt your thinking. It will choke your joy. It will begin to set you against brothers and sisters that you are sitting beside today. If you let jealousy take its root, it will destroy your peace of mind. It will give place to the devil, and it will give birth to hatred and to violence. Something of a summary, we can say that out of the heart come envy and perverse things. It will tear you down and the people around you. And in case you wonder at my calling it perverse, remember what we read in James chapter 3 this morning. Listen to verses 15 and 16 again. Speaking of jealousy and envy, James says, This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. What we are seeing in Saul is this teaching passage in, in James being worked out. This is not heavenly wisdom. It is earthly as opposed to heavenly. It is sensual as opposed to spiritual. It is demonic as coming from demons, from the devil. It will corrupt your heart, your words, your actions. One sin leads to another so that there's envy and then damaging words and every evil thing. What's the answer to this? Uh, Saul doesn't give us any answer, does he? But David does. This is a narrative. And so we glean things from David's behavior that address the sin of jealousy and of envy. David doesn't envy Saul's position. He rests in God, content in God's plan for his life. In New Testament language, he puts off envy and jealousy and he puts on brotherly love and contentment. And that's where we'll go in considering a solution to jealousy is uh, just in that outline, you can think of put off jealousy, and there'll be a put on as well. If you look at verses 28 through 30, it, it actually repeats for a third time that the Lord was with David. And it repeats that, uh, that he acted wisely in the eyes of all of the nation. Describes him uh, going out and coming in, 
That's, that's a, a, a phrase that's used to describe the work of kings and of leadership. He would lead people out in battle and would bring them back in afterwards. That it's a, uh, don't think of it just as exiting and, and entering. There's an official capacity that it has in mind. And the people knew it. And Saul, his servants of Saul knew it. And Saul knew it. And he was afraid of David because of this. And there's that fruit of jealousy coming in. But for our purposes today, I want to point out that, that David knew it too. That the Spirit of God, uh, of God had dis- departed Saul and had come upon him for this purpose that he was anointed for. You see, the Spirit of God came upon David when Samuel came and anointed him as the next king of Israel. And the Spirit of God was equipping him to be the leader that God wanted him to be. King Saul became David's enemy. He was consumed with jealousy and the evil fruit that grew out out of it. His heart was turned from God to seek his own interests. If you turn that on its head and you look at David, you can see the godly faith that David was exercising. He rests in God and he is content in the Lord's plan and purpose that God would work out in the way and in the time that he saw fit. And this will come up again as well as David has opportunity to take revenge on Saul later. And he says, far be it from me to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. And the beginnings of that are right here as David could have acted, and in a worldly uh, way, uh, Saul's fears are kind of grounded. That's what a a worldly man would have done. He would have grasped the kingdom while it was there for the taking. But that's not David. By faith, he rests in God and is content with the plan that the Lord had for him. And that resting and that contentment led him to do, as the text says, in everything he acted wisely before the Lord. In these ways, David puts off jealousy and envy. He he guards himself against the sins that are common to all of us, but especially in, in leadership. In these ways, David put off jealousy and he put on Christ looking forward with faith to the Redeemer that God would send. In fact, David reminds us of Jesus Christ. Our Savior came to do his Father's will. and So he was not tempted when Satan came to David. He came to, to Christ, excuse me. And he said, I will give you the kingdoms of the world, if you will bow down to me. I will give you it all, and they're yours. He was offering Christ a kingdom without the cross. 
But that wasn't the will of the Father. And Christ rejected that temptation to act on envy and desire and self-seeking, self-serving purposes. And he humbled himself before the Father. He humbled himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of the death of the cross for you and for me. Undeserving of this sacrifice. But it was the will of God to save sinners through the life and death and resurrection of the Son, Jesus Christ. And so even though Jesus agonized over the, 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 the sorrow, the suffering that he would go through under the agony of the cross, suffering the wrath of God, even though he agonized over that, he said, not my will, but yours be done, O God. Not mine. How shall we conclude and how shall we apply? Well, I've warned you against jealousy. Uh, put it to death. Put it off. On the positive side, put on Christ. Put on brotherly love, as we saw demonstrated in Jonathan and David earlier. Put on contentment, especially. You are a child of the king. You're sons and daughters of God. As such, you don't need to grasp after the things of this world. You don't. You don't have to, uh, to, to desire the stuff that other people have that, that you don't have and you think that you deserve. You don't have to fret over the achievements of anyone else because... In Christ, you are an heir of his. And that overshadows any glory that you might ever receive here in this world. Take comfort and be content that you are a child of God. And seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all of these things will find their place. All of these things will be added. You can do this, not in your own power, but in the power of Christ. Like David, you can rest in him being content in the love that he has for you and the plan that he has for your life. May you take that with you as you combat these sins of jealousy, which are so devious and uh, so destructive. May God give you strength to do so. Let's pray. God, we recognize ourselves in Saul, how easy it is to become jealous, to envy those around us, not just the not just the, uh, the, uh, the, the wealth of the wicked, like Psalm 73 says, but God, 
we begin to be jealous over our own brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, God, forgive us. This is not wisdom from above. This is wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Oh, God, enable us by the power of your spirit to put these things to death. Lord, they are not the fruit of the spirit. Instead, O oh Lord, I pray that as we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, I pray that we would remember our Savior who did humble himself so that he could offer a ransom for sin and so set us free. And being free, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In his name we pray, amen. We're saying of envying the wicked in Psalm 73a, we're going to follow that up with the, next, with the last portion of Psalm 73 and profess our faith that God in heaven is the only love that we have. He is the only thing that matters to us. And I pray that you would sing it that way, that it would be your profession, that it would be your prayer that God would be your all and all the power of Christ dwelling in you. Let's stand and sing Psalm 73C.